Hello, this is Pixelated Playgrounds, a gaming book club podcast discussing the art and craft of video games. I'm Brian Skersha. And I'm Clint Jones. And today, we're talking about The Last of Us Part 2, developed by Naughty Dog and published by Sony Interactive Entertainment for the PlayStation 4. It was released in 2020. And we'll be talking spoilers, and if you know anything about this game, you should be sensitive to that. Yes. Um. <laughs> the story is pretty much the main reason to be here. Not that the gameplay wasn't great, because I think it was, but the story is the standout. Absolutely. And I think we should probably just kick off with our personal histories with The Last of Us and Part 2, uh, because I came to this probably differently than a lot of people. Um, I came to The Last of Us Part 1 right before, I think, The Last of Us Part 2 came out, and then... I guess I just skipped The Last of Us 2 literally until the year 2023 when we're recording right now. Um, I think it was COVID, depression, and other things that made me not want to play a game about a pandemic. Um, And I guess I was playing Persona 5 Royal at the time. So yeah, distractions. Yeah, there goes 150 (laughs) hours of your time. I actually, (laughs) I did play it um, in 2020, right in the peak of depression. It felt right at home in there. (laughs) <laughs> um, and then I played it again this year. I platinum got a platinum trophy when you suggested we play it again. But that's been several months ago, back yeah. now. So <laughs> I played it twice. Uh, I even I liked it even better the second time. Um, but the first game, Last of Us One, I played back in PS3 when it came out. Like it was like the biggest game of that era. I didn't like it. I played the first couple, maybe a couple hours of it, and just couldn't get into it replayed it a couple years later loved it i don't know just didn't hit at the right time you're not the first person i've heard say that about the last of us part one um is that it, it sort of hit better the second time uh for what it's worth I, I liked it i liked both of these games quite a bit on, on the first playthrough i think the last of us 2 is a much more challenging one um which we'll go into i'm sure but um there's a lot to recommend here not not a across the board agree with all the decisions in it personally, but I, I respect it generally. <laughs> That's pretty much how I feel about it, too. There is a lot. I mean, this is probably one of the most controversial games ever. People either love it or they fucking hate it. Yeah, I, I would agree. And I think it's definitely the most high pro- high profile divisive game, which probably goes along with being one of the most high profile games. Um, probably worth noting, since we played... The Last of Us won for the podcast, and then are doing part two, the HBO series came out somewhere in there. So there's also that to think about. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how that's going to... I mean, this is going to be for a whole new generation of people now that, that are going to get exposed to this story that didn't ever play the games. I, I don't know. It, all I can tell you is that, some, well, without diving straight into the spoilers, I feel like it's extra impactful for people that had played the game because they sat in Joel's shoes for I don't know how many hours before... Last of Us 2 occurs, so... Exactly. And and this is your last warning to get off, because we're going to start spoilers real shortly after I talk a little bit about Naughty Dog. Um, so I think I want to lay the groundwork for what this game, you know, how it came to be first, as we always do. Uh, development for this game began in 2014, pretty much right after The Last of Us Remastered came out. Neil Druckmann, director, returns with a co-writer for the script, Hallie Gross, and... The goal, as I understand it for this one, was focusing on themes of revenge and retribution, uh, which were inspired by Druckmann's experiences growing up in Israel, which was an interesting thing I learned about this one. I didn't know that. I mean, yeah, that's definitely, if, if, if I could sum up the entire game, all 20 hours of it in, in a sentence, it would be... plus. Yeah, it, yeah, I think it was around 24 hours every time I played it. Uh, cycle of revenge w- 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 would be what I would be talking about, because that's pretty much the main driver here. 
Absolutely. I mean, and it's revenge, as told in probably the most beautifully rendered video game possible. Approximately 2,100 developers across 14 studios worked on the game at a budget of $220 million, making it one of the most expensive games ever developed. Oh, it shows, um, it, though. Like it, it it's, shows, got, yeah. it's got polished for days. I will say, okay, so I've spent over 50 hours in this game. I can't recall a bug. I'm sure it happened, but I don't recall one. I don't ever remember thinking, oh, that texture looks ugly. All I remember thinking was, like, oh, my God, this looks amazing, like the whole time you're playing it. And, and there are things that they are doing here with regards to the environments and the scale of them that could not have been done on the PS3. The PS4's power is being used to its its apex and i played it on the ps5 sort of up res that they released i think there's a package that sort of enhanced yep. it a bit for ps5 and it looks gorgeous it looks like a ps5 game um for sure but yeah it's uh it's a hell of a thing in terms of just pure production value but um <laughs> we already hit on it the length uh for my money just a little too long <laughs> yeah i don't know how i feel about it i never remember thinking like can we get this over with already until the very end sure. when you're really <laughs> supposed to feel like that because that's what's going on. Like everyone's haggard and like, it's just like this needs to end, but I'm actually kind of glad like it had a big story to tell. They didn't cut important things out just to be like, Hey, we could save some money if we miss this story beat. I don't know. I think they had a lot of ideas and they wanted to make sure that they were all utilized. Uh, you know, I think it, it, it was pretty clear that they weren't going to be revisiting this this universe anytime soon, and they still had a lot of gas left in the tank in terms of concepts. And boy, they all all came out to play. And um, maybe it's best just to dive in, set this game up, and, and start talking about it because it is uh, a lot to talk about. So, set five years after The Last of Us, it focuses on two playable characters this time, um, whose lives are sort of intertwining in a variety of ways. Ellie from The Last of Us, who sets out on a revenge for a murder. More on that later. And Abby, a soldier who becomes involved in a conflict between her militia and a religious cult. So a lot to unpack there. Uh, I think this game opens in a really interesting way. So, you know, I want to talk a little bit about the opening sort of scene in Jackson where we sort of leave Joel and Ellie at the end of The Last of Us. The the interplay between Ellie and Dina and like what's going on there. Yeah, I I think it's worth noting just that the game opens with sort of a thriving, I guess, post-apocalyptic settlement of of Jackson and Ellie being the, the hot hothead she is getting into trouble for you know threatening to punch a dude some old bigot who was getting up in her business because she kissed a girl yeah uh, and liked it thank you katie perry um <laughs> it's like we could do a cutaway here but maybe we'd have to pay royalties so maybe not um <laughs> maybe not <laughs> um yeah i mean it, it was cool to see like jackson has clearly flourished like the things that they were hoping that they Tommy and Joel and what they were hoping to accomplish at the end of the last game a lot of that like actually came to fruition which is cool to see like you fought so damn hard to get there they were actually able to build something out of it which is great to see yeah if you remember like one of the big plot points in the last of us was you getting the electricity on for Jackson and like look at it now like that is a really cool thing to sort of see evolve um but another thing I really liked about this opening sequence in, in Jackson is the smash cuts. It, you smash cut back and forth between like a few different groups of characters over the course of the first maybe five hours of gameplay. You know, you're playing as Ellie and Dina, then you're playing as Joel for a little bit, and then you're playing as Abby as she and her group are sort of, you know, coming into the area, and you're unsure of why they're there or who they are. Um, it just, you know, starts introducing people at a really rapid clip, 
and it keeps you guessing for a good chunk of that opening Jackson scene until um, the inciting event of the rest of the game happens. Yeah, I did like how they kind of kept with the theme, like, yes, there are multiple characters now. You don't know why until later, really. But you're, it's always got the buddy system going on, like Last of Us 1 did. It was always Joel and Ellie, but now you have like a rotating cast of characters sometimes. It, it kind of really funnels down towards the end of the game, but you're right, at the beginning, there's like buddy characters all over. You're almost getting to spend time with everybody to get to learn who everyone is. Yeah, they, they do a pretty good job sort of introducing the, the main cast as it is in this chapter. You don't know exactly the significance of everyone in it until later, but, you know, Ellie is with Joel and Dina, um, her uh, sort of girlfriend, Jesse, uh, her sort of superior on the patrols that they have, and, and Tommy, who, you know, we remember from The Last of Us 1, Joel's brother. And they are sort of like, they're part of the militia crew of Jackson. Like, they go out on patrols and call the um, the cordyceps, the uh, uh, the fungus folk. The fungus folk. It's what we prefer to be called is fungus folk. <laughs> oh, try- <laughs> Give me a break. It's infected. All right. That's their nomenclature. I got to, I got to get it right. Um, but yeah, I think it's cool that they seem to have their shit pretty well under control. Um, that is until Abby and her crew come in and they are from an entirely different settlement and they are looking for someone. <laughs> yeah. And her opening sequence actually was, it kind of showed off that this game was going to be way different than the last one. And they kind of took, Little snippets from the Uncharted series, which I love. You mm-hmm. still have not played Uncharted, have you? No, 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 oh, I have, I have not. And I you think I know what you're on. talking about, though. I think you're, you're probably talking about the, the chase. sprint down the mountain. Yeah. Yes, the chase <laughs> sequence. Like uh, Last of Us One was very slow paced, and for good reason, right? It's slow, methodical stealth, which is why I don't think I was clicking with it the first time because it just wasn't the vibe I was feeling when I wanted to play that game. Um, not that I, I love games like that, but it just wasn't the right mood at the right time. But this was just like a breath of fresh fresh air. Like, you finally got that zombie movie feel where there's like hundreds of things running at you full blast. And you've got to like do an Uncharted style chase away from them. It was very heart pounding. It was very exciting. Was a cool intro for the character for sure. And it ends actually with Abby, who we're going to come to recognize as a complete badass uh, later in the game, uh, actually kind of being rescued by none other than Joel. And Tommy. Um, yeah. And Tommy, yeah. Which is ironic based on the next thing that happens. And once they escape and sort of get back to the place where Abby and her crew are hiding out, they introduce themselves, um, which some may think of as possibly a thing out of character for Joel to do, but they immediately take a shotgun to his leg and start beating the shit out of both of them because that is exactly who this crew was looking for. Yeah, if you actually read through, and this kind of... You talked about them bringing the power back on. That was cool, but literally 30 seconds later, people were trying to gank their shit and kill them for it. This is, yes, humans have technology to make things better, but they most frequently just tear each other down. Like, seeing that they'd finally gotten past that and the whole Jackson thing and that they started trusting people again, you even find little notes like, hey, instead of like, uh, they were letting outsiders in, which was something that they never did in the pre- in the world of the previous game, right? So right. yeah, and, and you see it in this moment too. Uh, Joel and Tommy are being more trusting of strangers and it immediately backfires. Yes. it's This isn't a surprise. Like, th- this is the part, this was so hard to watch because we all love Joel, even though Joel is a total shithead. Like, we all, he's our shithead, but he's a shithead. We know this. Like, 
I don't, I don't know if we excuse his behavior because we played as him for so long and we saw his point of view, but he did some horrendous things in the first game. If you thought that this was going to end well for him, yep, you weren't paying attention at all. Absolutely. And and to your point, that is exactly what happened. His his deeds have caught up to him. These people are looking specifically for Joel. They were people he crossed in his past. More about that later. And uh, it ends with you know, Ellie basically coming in to try and rescue him, being completely outmatched and watching him take a nine iron to the dome as the lights go out of his eyes and the hero of The Last of Us is gone. Yeah, they they beat him to death brutally in front of her. But but even Joel knew this was a thing. Like the second it turned, he just said, why don't you fucking say whatever speech it is that you rehearsed in your head and get this shit over with? Like he didn't like... I don't think he knew who they were, but he knew that there were a thousand people that they could be because yep. he's wronged so many people to get where he got. He's never going to apologize for it because it saved the people that he loved. But he did terrible things. Yeah, he's set in his ways and he he knew his he probably knew this was coming. Yeah, um, it was just a matter of when. And um, yeah, I mean, this sort of early traumatic death, I think, is an echo for sure of The Last of Us Part One. Right. Um that was in the, the an opening death is basically an inciting incident for everything else that happens in the last of us a, you know the death of sarah and we see the same thing here the death of joel being an inciting incident for everything else that happens in the last of us 2 with ellie basically before passing out unconsciously at her very core vowing to get revenge yeah and and they made it very you know sometimes movie deaths like uh Maybe. No, you watch his skull get brutally caved in. Like, there's a 0% chance he is coming back from that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It they was very, it very final. Explicit. Yeah. It, it's done and over. And that, that kind of sets it off. Like, from there on, you know, you get a little speech from Tommy about, you know, he'd go, he'd go hunt them down for us. And it, it, it's, it's pretty quick to the point from that happening to you being on your way to Seattle and you know, Seattle is where the bulk of this game takes place uh, in a very interesting structure, I might add. I'm going to take a minute and maybe we just lay out how this structure works and then we could talk about the cool things that happen within it, including all of some of the mechanical stuff. Yeah, go for it. So as you're you're coming out of Jackson, you head out to Seattle and this game has a structure in which each you spend three days in Seattle as Ellie, right? Searching for Abby to, to enact your revenge. And then at the end of that, uh, the two finally meet up, and you get a smash cut three days back to Abby's story of being in Seattle over the course of those same three days. And people hated this. <laughs> so, okay, th- this this is another polarizing moment. Like, And I think the reason people hate it is because I, mean, I think they murdered Joel in such a brutal way to make you absolutely hate Abby. Mm-hmm. Like, even though you understood why she did what she did, you did not care. Like, it's like, fuck her. We're going to go kill her. And you spend the entire game, a normal-sized action game, the next 12 hours, what you would assume would be the entirety of this game, because that's about how long Last of Us 1 was, to get mm-hmm. to her. And instead of getting the ending that you want right there, which you would assume, <laughs> like, this is where it should be cutting off. This was the right amount of time. This was everything. Instead, they're like, nope. Pause. Now you have to go play as her, and people don't like it because when you have to live in someone's shoes, you are forced to empathize with them. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that they wanted to have to do that. Yeah, no, it, and this is why I was saying it's a challenging game. It, it forces you to take the perspective of others, and empathy is a skill that we are in short supply of these days. So I'm yes. absolutely unsurprised that this rubbed a lot of people the wrong way. But I think it was one of the most you know interesting thing this this game did. Yeah, whether it worked or not for you depends on how you 
you know, take and interpret all the events that follow, but I think it's absolutely a good idea to sort of try and prod the player into that empathy. It is a thing that only video games can do, really. And I think it's fascinating that it chose to do that in such a in-your-face way. I'm glad they did. I mean, we all would have liked in the moment the satisfying payoff Mm -hmm. where Ellie just caves Abby's skull in and that's the end of the story. You're like, all right, fine, I feel good. But the story doesn't let you just feel good. It makes you stop and think about things instead. And people sometimes just really don't want to do that. And I get that video games are escapism for some people. This game is not an escapist video game. If that's what you wanted, you bought the wrong game. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. This one is going to make you think about some stuff and make you think about why you think about it that way. Like It's a lot. It's deep. It cuts hard. And it's not relaxing at all. I, I totally agree. As we start to delve into some of the things you do in in each of these two stories, I, I want to back up a little bit and talk a bit about some of the incredible mechanical accomplishments that you get through some of these early sequences in Seattle, specifically with Ellie and Dina. I think the fact that they came in and did this sort of semi-open world thing oh, yeah. with this game where you have your sort of open Seattle for the first day in uh in Seattle as Ellie and Dina was really impressive. And if they were to just make a five hour game that was day one Seattle, I would buy that game. Like that is great. (laughs) Yeah. You're just exploring ruined Seattle on horseback with your girlfriend, basically just hang. And and (laughs) the thing that naughty, okay. Earlier we talked about like how impressive the graphics were and that's all cool and good, but that's not what makes naughty dog games like so impressive. Again, you haven't played uncharted, so you don't have this frame of reference, but I remember in in PS3, I played uncharted one and one of the coolest things that they did, like is it's little details. Like when, um, the character would take cover next to a wall, there wasn't a press Oh, to take cover he would just be near the wall and he'd like put his hand up against the wall or it would be a different animation every time and if a bullet whizzed by he'd have his own little like oh shit like or, or something crazy like oh man that almost got me like and, and you wouldn't hear repeats <laughs> it's just little things that make you feel like that character is actually in the game world and interacting with it yeah and, and you get that here too like their banter that open world there's so many things that can happen but it makes it feel alive yeah, there's like 12 different bespoke locations that you can go to and get really like well-done, interesting events that happen. It's not like the Ubisoft 1,200 different icons on your map situation. It's no. a hand-drawn map. It's, you know, very... <clears throat> I'm going to use my, my Brian word here. It's very diegetic how you come across where they should be and how you determine why to go there. Like you're trying to get a gate open, right? You're on a hunt for gasoline. And so you keep getting lead after lead. There's some dead ends. It sends you around. You get some clues that like, oh, hey, this bank apparently has some stuff in it. Maybe we could check that out while we're passing through. Um, and each of them have something really interesting. It's like invigorating to me to feel to play an open world game or an open world section like this that has every single dot on your map be something extremely bespoke and interesting. Like I was going to use bespoke. I was going to be like, I'm, I got a Brian word for you. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Well, you took it, so I got to come up with another one now. Yeah, okay, so you're talking about the bank. Yeah, you go in there and you realize you like get to read through the story basically of people that basically robbed a bank on, I'm just going to call it Z-Day, but what, what did they call sure, it? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Basically, the day humanity ends, and they're all like, fuck, of course we picked today of all days to do this. The one guy dies <laughs> With a mountain of cash in the vault and can't get out. And he's just like, I don't know. Yes, every single one had a story like that. Yeah, and there's a couple more that I just want to hit on because they're so good. I think one that I'm, I'm sure you, you and I talked about off mic um, is the music shop. 
oh, where yeah. you get the incredible rendition of Take On Me. Talking away I don't know what I'm to say I'll say Today's I would say I have my Taylor acoustic guitar sitting right next to me. I should have practiced some of these songs. We could have just done this. Um, doing it live. Yeah, I mean, we both play guitar. So those moments of the game were... Really cool. For me, yeah. very beautiful. And especially because one of the songs they picked to be like Joel's theme is literally one of my favorite songs. Before I heard it mm. in this video game, I was like, oh, shit, it's the song. Uh, Future Days by uh, Pearl Jam. It's awesome, awesome song. Um, yeah, and that almost became like the theme of the game almost. It kind of did. And um, I know there's a story behind how that game or that song got chosen for this game, but uh, I don't, I didn't, I didn't get a chance to, to look into that. But yeah, I think it fits pretty well. Um, it's, it's, uh, it's very well suited to the moments that they, they deployed it. Although hilariously, it would not exist in the world of The Last of Us because it came out after Z Day. <laughs> I read a bit about this and there was, uh, there was a time when Pearl Jam played it at a baseball game prior to a, a live show. So they're like, he could have heard it live that one time and then just magically learned every word and played it on guitar. I don't know. That's funny. I didn't know that, but that's good. That's good context. Yeah. If I ever were to lose you, I'd surely lose myself. Everything I have found here, I'm not found by myself. The other one of these open world things that stuck in my head was the church, or the synagogue rather. Um, mm. There's a, a temple that was visited, and it gave, the, it gave Dina and Ellie a chance to have like a quiet conversation about religion and the place that it had in each of their respective lives, which is, for Ellie to say, almost none. And for Dina to be like, yeah, it was a pretty big part of her life, and her sister was really big into it, and, you know, here's the reason why she felt people did this. And it was really nice to have them, like, be able to flex the writing muscles in that way in this game, you know? Yeah, again, it's... This moment has... This game has a lot of loud moments, but it's almost the quiet moments in between that, like, really solidify the writing and make you care about the loud moments the loud moments you need to be afraid for the characters but if you don't love the characters then why do you care exactly yeah all of this is to say like eventually you do make your way through the the open world section of seattle and um the game gets back onto a, a bit more of a linear path uh going forward and i think it kind of loses that open worldiness for the rest of the game like i was i was thinking initially that like oh we're going to have these big open areas in this game and it's going to be more of like an open zone situation and kind of not like there's more open ish, smaller areas, but this is by far the biggest and most open of anything. And I'm fine with it because going into the city, that's what it would have felt like, right? You have this big, but, but if you do too much open world stuff, you can't really dial in on the very specific. It it wouldn't work for their structure. No, I, I think, I think they mixed it well. I can't believe they just, did so much work on that style of game and then just were willing to say yeah, just no. throw it out yeah it's wild and you know what's funny is the very next section was the same way for me because you go into the news station right and the sewers and that back-to-back sequence is basically a horror game and i think that's the game at its most horrific uh for lack of a better word to describe something that feels a lot like a horror game um but it is really something like it is a spooky situation with these hanging corpses 
you're you know you're unsure of why they're there like that, and you find out later that it's this religious cult, uh, the Seraphites, aka the Scars. There are a couple more things like that, uh, maybe not to that level, but like when you're wandering through the woods and you hear them whistling back and forth, oh, and yeah. you're like, oh fuck, yeah. Like th- there was there was definitely horror elements in this game. Some of it played a bit like Splinter Cell, to be honest. Um, some of it played very loud, like we're talking about the Abbey sections. Um, yeah, they did so many different things, and I like that they never kept you in one thing for so long that you got bored of it. They like moved you around. It's always something new. Absolutely, they 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 did a, a nice job of sort of figuring out how to change the pace and um, I guess move different events around so that you were yeah getting something new from hour to hour at least I would say. Um, some of those things repeated, you know, hour six and 13 were, you know, could feel the same, but generally speaking to your point, they, they mix it up pretty well. And I think they mix it up in multiple ways because this game also jumps timelines a fuck ton. Like there's flashbacks intermixed all over the place here, especially during Ellie's story, you get flashbacks to like the time before Joel died. Um, one of which I absolutely loved the museum sequence. Do you recall this? Yes. Okay. So not to we kind of zipped past this joel and ellie are not on good terms at the beginning of the game yeah he came to her rescue and everything but they're on the outs because as you remember from the first game it ended with him lying like obviously he made a selfish choice to save her life rather than let her life mean something and sacrifice to you know help he took the choice away from her correct and she asked him explicitly he lied you know, roll to black, roll credits. Like, we knew that that was going to come back to haunt them. And I know that everybody wanted to see them happy together, but that was never going to be the case. Like, obviously, she, she found out the lie. But in these brief moments, in these flashbacks, you actually got to see them have their sweet moment that you never really got at the end of Last of Us. Like, you went through that whole ordeal and you never got to see them have that father-daughter moment. It gave yeah. that payoff a little bit before they ripped it away again. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think that that museum sequence is probably the closest it gets to like the idyllic Joel and Ellie, um, which is funny because it comes after what you know to be the very tragic end of that relationship. Um, And, you know, that that sequence is extremely well done. And it, it sort of fleshes out Ellie in a nice way, too. Just sort of this nerdy kid who likes dinosaurs in space, like everyone. Yeah, we we get it. (laughs) Yeah, we get it. (laughs) Can relate. Um, But yeah, back, you know, once you you wake up the next day, I think they they do a few of these uh, flashbacks to varying effectiveness, but that one by far stuck out to me. But waking back up, the search continues. You start to have characters return from the Jackson, you know, Jesse returns. And um, I think it's worth highlighting at this point, sort of, we talked about the differences in the types of gameplay that you're getting and maybe we talk a little bit about the mechanics here because this game does bring back a lot of the the last of us staples your scrounge stealth fight stealth scrounge uh loop if you will yeah um but i think it does it just a little better it definitely does i'm usually we've talked about this before especially with games like um i think resident evil 7 was one of the games that we really talked about this with i like crafting only when the game gives you a finite amount of resources in your 
given the choice, do I want to heal? Do I want to be more aggressive? Do I want to be more defensive? And it's almost like a, a way of giving player agency and letting you decide how you would approach the situation. This game does that. It lets you decide, am I going to craft more ammo? Ooh, maybe I want to craft a silencer. Maybe I need some med kits over here. It really makes you choose how you want to approach the situation and then gives you the agency to do that effectively. And I think one thing I really liked about this game is that it had these multiple different types of factions that you could then add that as a factor for what you choose to craft into, right? You're facing infected, you're facing wolves, and you're facing scars. And there are definitely things that work better on each of those different types of parties. For example, wolves patrol. Scars tend to wait and try and ambush you. Infected, we know how infected work, you know, the clickers, the um, the runners, etc. Um, so like, we're going up against infected. You know what? Maybe I'm better served crafting a Molotov cocktail instead of a, a health pack. Uh, wolves, I'm probably going to do a proximity mine situation here. Um, and I really like that the game started to flesh out like what these different enemy types were and how they worked. And I think that made the combat very interesting like stalking wolves and taking them out one by one was much more thrilling than just the sort of basic human raiders in the last of us yeah and okay speaking to those little things that build the world up so much more like the banter between the enemies it wasn't like a one or two recycled lines thing they would have full-scale conversations you would you would take out somebody the guy would come around the corner and like, oh my God, they fucking shot Bill. Like Bill's <laughs> dead. And they just start like, like each of these characters had like names and, and they would freak out about them by name if they found them dead. Like it just like added so much to it. Including tragically the dogs, um, all yeah. the, the little, yeah. I mean, uh, there were domestic combat dogs that the wolves um, had uh, and, and had trained. And yeah, he were forced to unfortunately murk some dogs in this game. Not my favorite activity uh, for what it's worth, but um, yeah, uh, definitely affecting when they say like they got Fido or whatever his name God, was. They did. Luckily, <laughs> they named none of them Fido. <laughs> but yes, so you go from those guys who are very loud and boisterous and they're easy to stalk because they never shut the fuck up. So and then you get into the scars who hide in bushes and communicate via creepy nature sounds and whistles to each other. And you're like, oh, God, this is getting way more complicated now. And you really have to like think through it more. And that first scene as Ellie, where you first come across the scars in the forest, that scene is like incredible. Um, where you first get the arrow, you know, out of the blue and you're struggling to, you know, pull it out and then return fire as you sort of try and restalk them is an incredibly tense sequence. And I think probably one of the better combat arenas in the game. Playing that in the basement with surround sound was chef's kiss. Oh, yeah. Very good. Oh, sure. Yeah, you just you just hear all the whistles going off all around. You're like, oh shit, I'm surrounded. Like you, yeah, <laughs> it's a lot. Yeah, I can I cannot even imagine. Um, I should have played this game with headphones. Um, but yeah, I, I th- and I think one final thing I want to talk about in terms of things this game elevated over The Last of Us One is the dual character aspect of it. Right, you have two pr- primary protagonists that you are upgrading, getting weapons for, and you know adding skill trees for Abby. And Ellie. Um, And we know Ellie, like we know generally what she does. She has her little knife. She, um, you know, it's a a much more, much more proficient with it in this game for what it's worth. Thank God. um, Yeah. (laughs) She has like a very specific moveset and it's much more sneaky. Um, Whereas when you're playing as Abby, she's a tank. You know, she is ripped. 
She's a strong sort of strangler in the stealth area and has bigger, badder ass weapons as well. And has this incredible mechanic where if she kills someone with a melee weapon, she gets what's called momentum and can just go immediately into stunning another enemy if you hit them in quick succession, which is extremely satisfying. Yeah, she is massive. Yeah. <laughs> Alarmingly massive, like to the point where almost like, like what the fuck? She's a bodybuilder, man. Like, yeah. But um, it's... <laughs> even more, I don't think in my entire life on earth have I ever encountered a woman the size of Abby anywhere. Sure, sure. She has intimidating biceps. I would she be, does. I would, be pr- I would be proud to sport those bad boys. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> and um, yeah, you know, it's it's interesting. And it's clear like she had, you know, we'll get into her backstory a little later, I think. But she had a reason for that, right? Like, oh, for there's, sure. Yeah. There's all kinds of like backstory about how she like got ripped to revenge her, um, her father. More on that later. And um, yeah, her play style reflects it, which I love. Like, I think it, it's excellent when a game will take what's on the page and then work it into the mechanics. It's one of the pixelated playground seal of approval items right there from my perspective. Boom, stamp. We need like a sound bite. (laughs) Pixelated. (laughs) I love it. Um, One final note on mechanics from my perspective is this game has the difficulty sliders, not just a difficulty, easy, medium, hard, but increase the character's health, decrease the enemy's health, increase how stealth works decrease how stealth works like it let you be very granular with how you chose that and you better believe i used some of that when i ran into problems because 26 hours is long enough for this game and i don't need to be replaying battle sequences over and over again i didn't use that specifically but it is always nice to have those there i it just blows my mind of the galaxy right like oh yeah they did that actually Mm -hmm. i think the first game that i remember doing that was uh what was the last of the Tomb Raider? Yeah, I know what the one you're talking about. I'm not sure that that's the first one. It's the first one I remember. It wasn't like, you know, like you were saying, you could like tweak how hard the sneaking sections were or the combat sections or whatever. Um, yeah, it's kind of, it's cool. Accessibility is cool. Accessibility is good. And the more options they can give you to tweak it to your desires is, you know, always good in my book. But let us return to... Uh, the story uh, of Ellie, because I think I want to I want to close out her arc and then talk a bit about Abby's, because I think there's some really interesting parallels and differences in these two. So we left Abby. Um, they sort of set up a base in this theater. They have reunited with Jesse, their their friend from Jackson, and the search continues for for Abby. They realize Tommy's out there too, and Dina is pregnant. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> by, by, by Jesse, it's worth noting. So um, there is uh, sort of a weird love triangle going on here in the Ellie camp. And Ellie takes off to go find Abby at this aquarium where she thinks that um, Abby has ended up due to some scouting that they have done and some other you know people that they have tortured information out of. Ellie got dark somewhere in here. It's worth mentioning. <laughs> uh, I think she was copycatting her father figure who did a lot of this kind of stuff in Last of Us 1, if you don't remember. Yeah, you're right. You're right. She took a page right out of Joel's book. And um, it's, you know, this whole sequence to me is a little bit about Ellie's all-consuming revenge and the fall that it uh, causes her to go on. You know, it affects her. It affects everyone around her. It affects Tina. It affects Jesse. Um, to a tragic end and yeah it um 
it's the driving force of all of the bad shit in this game. Yeah, it's all day. consuming and it never ends. So, which is kind of the whole reason why we're here in the first place. We haven't talked about it yet, but Abby is in the same boat. You see, you see, okay, so we said Abby is the size of an NFL linebacker. Okay, how did she, <laughs> how did she get here? Well, you also see her before where she's just a totally normal teenage girl. But her dad was the lead surgeon that was supposed to have worked on Ellie uh, with, with the Fireflies, who Joel murders. We, I mean, we as Joel did this in the last game. We shot him in the face and, and took Ellie out. And in that moment, Joel felt justified. But you better believe Abby felt pretty justified in hunting him down the same way that Ellie's feeling justified in hunting Abby down and all the horrible things she's doing along the way, too. These are both daughters that have lost their fathers tragically and are willing to go to any length to seek revenge for it. Yeah, they're they're both trapped in cycles of violence and it's really interesting how they're almost directly paralleled like that, you know. Abby perpetrated the the cycle of violence by killing Joel and then tried to break it by sparing Ellie and it just started the cycle back up again. Um it's it's interesting how each of the or Abby mostly tries to continually break this cycle of violence by, you know, trying to get it to stop. But it turns out there's no half measures in patricide. You know, it's all or nothing. <laughs> yeah. What's that old saying? Uh, if you're going to seek revenge, dig two graves or whatever it is. That's exactly right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it's it's very much uh, on the page here. And, you know, I want to I want to hit a little bit about what you've been talking about is, is Abby being like super ripped. Like clearly this is something we don't normally see, but like, we never ask like why Marcus Phoenix or Kratos are unrealistically ripped. And when we see a woman unrealistically ripped, we're like, Oh, that's odd. And, um, but it is odd. Wanna... <laughs> I've seen a couple, ja- I've seen a couple Jack dudes. I've never seen a girl like, like Abby. It almost was just like, I mean, it's a lot, but narratively it makes sense. Like, okay. You were talking about like the really crazy things that Ellie has done to perpetrate revenge. Right. But you see this too with Abby. Abby's cycle took longer because she was a young girl when this happened and now she's sure. in her 20s. Like she's, you see bits and pieces of this throughout the game, but she's used to be a sweet little girl with a boyfriend crush, you know, Owen. And then slowly, you, you know, slowly you see her like slowly start to push her friends and her boyfriend away and all she cares about is revenge and she's like, everything she does is about getting bigger, getting stronger because she is going to do this thing. Yeah. And she pushes everyone out of her life to do it. It totally makes sense. And I think the funny thing about this to me is, is like, yes, it, it is a justified, um, I think it's a justified character trait for her to just be like all consuming fitness, super soldier woman. Like that is yeah. within her background. Um, whereas like none of us will bat an eye when we see like, you know, Marcus Phoenix have uh, biceps the size of a fucking <laughs> two by four you know it's, sure. it's just a it's different standards for different people and i just wanted to point that out that like it's different art styles too i think so you're, <laughs> yeah. you're talking about marcus phoenix that, that that's a very like uh everything sure, is bombastic. like exaggerated this is very realistic again i think that's yeah. why it was like such like a what the like very in your face i don't know yeah it, it was it was a um an eye-catching thing and i think yes. I'm I'm glad the game did that. Like, hey, show different body types. It's a sure. good thing. Um, for the people that flipped a shit about this, you're a baby. Um, Agreed. <laughs> but as you said, Joel kind of got what he deserved from Abby's perspective. Um, Abby, you know, at this at the point at which we pick up her story, she's fresh off her revenge tour. 
um, which is an interesting place to pick up. You know, we're kind of at the the end of the line for her, and yet we're just starting. So we get to see the WLF headquarters, which I think is really cool. It's the other version of Jackson, right? It's a military base. Yes, and you get to learn of all these characters. Like, basically, Ellie's been systematically murdering this whole group of people trying to get to Abby. Abby's the end goal. She's murdered all of these people in a row to get to her, to get a little piece of information. She's killed them, tortured them, whatever. And now you're forced to go back three days and see them all be friends together and actually learn who these people were. Like Manny, you see him with his dad and talking about how he's taking care of his elderly father. And like all, like it, it personalizes everyone you've just murdered. It doesn't let it be, it doesn't get to be a fun revenge tale anymore. It's like, oh fuck, I killed that guy. Man, yeah, you hit the nail on the head and like I can understand where people were like, this is a difficult thing to put myself in the shoes of because like Abby was the villain this whole time. But you know, was she? she's, but she wasn't. Yeah. And and I think like you start to get snippets of that during Ellie's story pretty quickly. And you know, if you're, if you're really reading into it, like you get that right at the start in Jackson too. Like this is a person with their own backstory, history, friends, you know, love interests, etc. At the end of the day, like people are so attached to Ellie and Joel that like you they could not rip themselves away from that, to your point. And oh, we got history. We got a deck. Okay, again, this was the most popular game in the PS3 era. People have been r- ruminating on Joel and Ellie for a decade at this point. Yeah. No matter, and, and, and again, Joel did terrible things, but they couldn't separate themselves from the fact that, well, he did it to save Ellie, and we love Ellie, so we love Joel. Like, but there is another side to the story. How many people did Joel kill to save Ellie? Yeah, yeah, and and it. You're you're absolutely right, and I think like the interesting thing about this, you know, flipping over and being Abby is that you kind of see the same thing happening in her camp where they're demonizing others as well, right? Like we just spent an entire yeah, exactly. We spent an entire twelve hours demonizing Abby. Abby immediately we pick it up, and there's this crisis with the scars happening. They're about to assault their home. Um, and they're doing the same thing. They're just like, hey, you know, these scars, they're subhuman. We don't know why they do what they do. They just kill indiscriminately. And, you know, everyone demonizes the other side in this game. Yeah. And to be fair, I don't, I don't think they had their redeeming moment. These are basically like cultist Mennonites is the best way I can describe <laughs> these guys. <laughs> um, right. Ludites, no technology. Like they're like, we need to go back to the way the world was before it got evil. That means no technology, none of this. And they were also very, I mean, also just very strict and whatever we get to that I mean, later yeah a transmisogynist religious cult is definitely not someone you want to be throwing your hat and saying but there's good ones out there but uh no uh we're, we're not going to take that stand here on pixelated playgrounds but um, i've never met a good scar of you i don't think so <laughs> yeah actually we have and that's kind of the point of abby's story right okay i guess there's the one or yeah. two <laughs> So that to me is kind of the crux of this side of the story. You know, you quickly strike out from uh, WLF HQ to go chase down Owen, who has gone AWOL, right? Owen uh, threatened to kill or did kill a fellow WLF soldier uh, during a mission because they were threatening to kill a defenseless Scar, a.k.a. Seraphite, a.k.a. the tribal people that we've been talking about here so far. And Abby's like all right, I got to go find out what's going on with this guy because she knows he's not dead. She just knows in her gut. And so you strike out to go and find him in the place she knows he is, which is the place you ended Ellie's story, which is the aquarium. Um, worth mentioning, and we didn't hit on this, but at the aquarium scene in Ellie's story, uh, you basically killed all of the friends of Abby. Killed Owen. Killed Mel. Mel. His, yeah. his uh, pregnant girlfriend. 
you know how their stories end already, and it's not good. But here we are again in Abby's shoes, striking out to go end up at that eventual denouement. Man, how many big words you can eat? That's just French. It's not even a big <laughs> word. That's just a French word. All right. We'll move past that. Yeah, I mean, and there was a lot of folding back in on, like, iconic places. The theater being one. The uh, the aquarium being one. Is this where she runs into Lev and... Yeah. So, on yeah, it basically, at the end of day one, beginning of day two of her quest, she runs into Yara and Lev, where right. they actually rescue her from being captured and gutted by scars. Correct. I guess, and this was a super brutal scene that... Actually, I think this was the first scene that they showed of the game was they showed like a teaser of this part and we're like, what the hell is going on here? Yeah, basically, these two scars are being excommunicated for reasons unknown. Children, it's worth noting. Yeah, what are they, probably 12? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Super young kids being basically murdered in the woods for God knows what. You come to find out it's because, and I think it takes a long time to even get there. It does, yeah. But basically, one one of the kids, turns out they were trans or at least pretending to be uh, a boy so that they wouldn't have to be married off to uh, to one of the elders. They were trying yeah. to escape that. Yeah, I'm, I'm unclear whether... Yeah, I think it's yeah, it's a trans youth situation, and obviously that is very much frowned upon in uh, the very strict, dogmatic, traditional uh, Seraphite society. And so they are excommunicated, and as a result, they're kind of in... They're on an island, right? Like, no one is on their side. They're probably going to be hunted by WLF. They're definitely going to be hunted by Seraphites. And they run into the one person who's going to throw them a bone, mostly because she's also being hung up and about to be gutted by Seraphites, Abby. (laughs) Yeah, basically, this was an an unwary alliance. Basically, they're both about to be brutally murdered in the woods, so they decided, well, maybe we'll go together Uh, because everybody else on both sides hates us right now. So, yeah, to to your point earlier, like, Abby's almost taken sides with Owen, which means she's gone against her people, so Mm -hmm. the WLF is against her. Obviously, Ellie's against her. And the scars are against her, so they kind of like have their own little uneasy alliance out of necessity. Yep. And the interesting through line of, of all of this that relates back to The Last of Us 1, when you do finally catch up with Owen at the aquarium, is that he's completely disillusioned with WLF. Um, he does not give a shit about the war they've embroiled themselves in with the scars. He doesn't want to, you know, go along with their leader to assault their homeland and basically perform a genocide so that they can clear out Seattle and make it a WLF safe space. So what he what he has decided to do is seek out the remaining fireflies. <laughs> and he was always the idealist. You see this throughout the entire through line. So they were fireflies before, obviously, because they were at the Firefly facility when, you know, her dad got murdered and all that. And he's been kind of like this ever-flowing, free-flowing, like, we got to do what's right. And, and, and again, that's important. But in this world that exists in the apocalypse, that's usually seen as like a, a bad trait. It's like yeah. you need to stick with something. And Abby's like, why Why are you like this? Like, stick with something. She's very regimented. He's very free-flowing. It doesn't work out very well. And obviously it pisses the, Isaac, the, the leader of the WLF, off. Yeah, you make an interesting point here about, like, people in this setting are either optimists, pessimists, or maybe just somewhere down the line realists. But, you know, if I'm if I'm trying to divide our characters into those camps, 
Ellie, Joel, and Abby are all definitely pessimists. They assume oh, the worst of people. <laughs> the optimists tend to die pretty quick and don't become main characters because they're fucking dead. All right. I, I've got my optimist count here because I was actually trying to divide people in, into these little camps. Um, the optimists I've identified are Owen, Mel, and Manny, all dead, and Dina, who is at the pretty end much game, dead. Alive. <laughs> Barely. <laughs> Only and, by the grace of, of God, God knows. Yeah, sure. <laughs> I, I didn't categorize Tommy and Jesse. I just have realists next to them, um, where I think they're like kind of down the middle. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's interesting how you how you call that out about you know optimists versus pessimists and like the way that they approach this world. It's hard to believe anyone still sits in that optimist camp. To be frank, um, well, no, well, no <laughs> one who's survived because again, what has worked for all these again you, you see like pre fallout in, in the first game and it's pretty much the less you trust other people the more of a danger you are the more chance you have of survival but that also means not letting people in which was the whole point of that first game like finally after all these years Joel and Ellie after having their guards up for so long even for a brief moment were able to let those down for each other which was a big deal yeah it's it's an interesting point cuz you're right kind of the whole underlying sort of conservative nature of the societies in this game is that you know other groups are dangerous they can't be trusted always execute your prisoners it's like <laughs> and they're not wrong sadly like as terrible as it is time and time again they're proven that that is probably the correct way to act if you want to live in this world which in, is in sad. the in the last of us world yes yeah um and i think it, it's a stupid shitty mindset to like try and propagate onto the real world which is i think where a lot of people sort of fall down in in like you know a failure of a lot of people that that play these games and you know i don't want to speak for anyone i'm 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 setting up a straw man here intentionally but um if we're talking about like people that really love the idea of Joel and the way that he acts as like sort of a super protective person like it's a very nihilistic worldview you know there's kind of a lack of diversity of human thought in there where you have like almost no empathy and the idea of the idea of empathy is a bad idea in The Last of Us world, right? I think if you played the first game and you're like, I love Joel, you <laughs> did not you missed the point. <laughs> you missed it entirely. Yes, we all understand where Joel was coming from. We can empathize with Joel. He was he was put in a hard place. He made some hard choices, probably some really bad choices. He's not someone to be admired. Exactly. It's a it, if you if you feel if you start to admire Joel, then like you're kind of going along with this world's weirdly big approval of othering, which is kind of not a thing you want to try and translate into like an actual admirable trait that you want to bring into the real world. It's just not, um, you're not going to get very far in that way, but to your point, like this is setting up a science fiction world. And in, in this world, it is a situation worth examining the way he acted, you know? Yeah. Having said all that, I think it is important to talk about real quick, like, this game, we know, like, had a lot of hate on the internet because of a lot of reasons. Um, people were very overwhelmingly vocal about this because they hated the game because it had a big focus on minority or LGBTQ protagonists, which is clearly wrong. I don't think that there's valid reason to ever hate a game or any medium for inclusion of people uh, for things like that. But I do think that there's a very valid issue around these characters that people had that isn't rooted in hater homophobia that didn't get highlighted because again you can't usually talk about these things without getting put in that mixing category. the two yeah yeah sure right so 
I think it kind of goes like this. Joel was pretty much an everyman, right? He was very relatable protagonist, especially for people in the gaming community, which led to him becoming one of the most iconic and revered gaming icons of the past decade. I don't think that's even remotely uh, debatable. Like, yeah. Uh, and then Last of Us 2 came out, and then it shifted completely away from the much-loved Joel, and instead focused on what I would say are probably four main protagonists. You've got Ellie and Dina, a lesbian couple, Abby, who is a gender norm bending woman the size of an NFL linebacker, and Lev, a, tra a trans person. So I think with that, a lot of the relatability kind of went out the window, and uh, everyone that's. Or some. Yeah, yeah uh, quite a bit of the relatability went out the window. And the story is mostly about a bunch of people that are either in minority or fringe groups of some kind, right? And I, I don't have an issue with any of those characters or the groups they re represent at all. But narratively, I think when you get too heavy-handed in any aspect, it kind of like pulls the curtain back. Um, and while inclusion is super important, I think when you turn into like a minority checkbox free-for-all, it kind of loses some of its value and gets pedantic a little bit. So, I. I agree with you in, in that, like, if you're strictly doing this for checkboxy reasons, like, <laughs> it's pandering. That's the word for that. But to your point, like, I don't know if they had, like, a trans person play or write Lev. I don't know if, um, you know, they had someone queer writing the relationship for Joel and Ellie. I probably should have done research to determine that. Regardless, um, I hear you on, like, the game going from, like, straight white male protagonist to... Uh, a gay couple, uh, yeah, yeah, exactly as you said. Like, this is a very, like, atypical set of protagonists that you're stepping into the shoes of, but I think it works for a game that is primarily about exploring the idea of empathy with people other than yourself, right? Correct. No, I completely understand. I, I just, I'm trying to say, I see... You, yeah, you are empathizing with those people. <laughs> yeah, some people worded it poorly and, and, and got categorized like, oh, that's being hateful. I'm like, yeah, some people were definitely being hateful. But some people were also like, maybe you were just overdoing it a little bit in certain categories and you just step back. So I don't I'm, know. I'm, I'm admiring your being patient with people who are you know willing to uh, just flame this game for having uh, a diverse cast on the Internet. Kudos to you for showing up at the end of that. But um, to your point, I think... This is kind of a symptom of people just sort of not having the vocabulary for voicing a situation that they are uncomfortable with, which is to say anything outside of their norms. I feel like uh, American video game players in general are, you know, very acculturated to certain things. And when they don't turn out like they expect them to, which this game absolutely runs in the face of what you would normally do for almost any every Super successful aspect. franchise yes yeah. like hold on hold on you're gonna be a, you're, you're gonna be a gay couple a trans kid and uh we're gonna kill your favorite character that you've had for 10 years <laughs> off in the first five minutes how do you feel and about that and you're like oh shit no i don't like that at all and i respect the hell out of this game for that like i think that is you know that that is probably the most important thing this game does yeah is it it like tries to force people to look at what the uh, you know, what anyone other than themselves is feeling when they play these games. Because I have news for all of the people that um, are disappointed that Joel is not representative of them in this game anymore. Everyone who's gay, trans, a woman, or otherwise, uh, feels exactly the same way than they're playing when they're playing literally every other video game. That's true. Um, and this game is trying to make you see that, I think. Um, and that's an, that's an interesting thing for a video game of this amount of budget and stature and production value and you know stock prices riding out it etc to do 
Yeah. Um, and I have to like hand it to them for that at least, you know, maybe they don't do it perfectly every time. Maybe they step in it a little bit with some of the stuff they do with uh, regards to representation or how they portray um, gays, trans folks, etc. in this game. But they did it. They at least went out and tried. And I'll give them a hand for that. Sure. You can't nail everything. I think Netflix gets hit on this sometimes, too. They're, they're like, all right, guys, you did the checkbox. Like, this ha- <laughs> this happens a lot lately. Diversity is super important. Do not let me. Nothing I'm saying here is is, is uh, minimizing that at all. It's just any anything overdone can be a, a net negative if you don't do it right. And this is one of those things I think they might have pushed. If they didn't cross the line, they got close to it. To be fair, like video games rarely see this this type of heat, and no, it is well, one of those got things heat where for like so many reasons. Not <laughs> yeah. it isn't just this. It, it, it's the killing of Joel. It's this. It's the fact that it's a revenge tale that you never actually get revenge in, and yeah. <laughs> and then they make you, and they sit there and they make you feel bad for the character that you wanted to hate the whole time. Like there's a lot of reasons why people just couldn't get on board, but I think if you're willing to go on the ride, it's worth it. Yeah. I, I'm I'm with you on that. I'm 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 not coming away from this game regretting anything about it. But I will say, I th- and I think we need to explore this more since we've talked about a lot of the events in it so far. Um, and I think it might make sense to talk about this a little closer to the ending. But we need to talk about the how this game sort of forces you to be the one who twists the screws or twists the knife, um, because you're not given a choice often in this game about whether or not to pursue the violent end. It is forced upon you you are going to torture the person as ellie you are going to you know be the one who kills xyz in in a certain situation and you are going to kind of hate yourself for it as a player um and that's intentional and it's worth worth talking about a little more but we we should we will highlight some specific points of this because i have a few that i want to talk about later revenge never feels good but you feel compelled to do it like you don't have a choice exactly as you the player feels Mm -hmm. yeah it's a good point I want to talk a little bit about the lack of player choice in this game, because this is very specifically a game where you're forced to do some atrocious things, right? Like you are uh, made to torture uh, a person as Ellie, you are made to, you know, uh, attack a, a player that you formerly loved, you know, Abby going against uh, Ellie and almost killing her. Um, they're putting you in the role of an actor. You're playing a role. And if you're upset with what Ellie or Abby or whoever is doing, then you're not really upset with that care. You're not really upset with, you shouldn't be upset with yourself. I guess what I'm saying, you should be upset with the, the character themselves, not the person playing them. And I, I, w- I wanted to get your thoughts on that because... I think one of the big things that video games bring as a creative medium is the idea of player choice. And when you have a game like this that's putting you in a very specific role and asking you to be more of an actor rather than an agent, I think it changes things. Well, did you notice that most of, as with the first game, the big moments where they make the big, really hard choices, you're not in control. You do the thing that leads up to the thing, but you're not you're not at the wheel when Joel tortures the guy to find out where Ellie is to save her. You're not in control when Abby 
caves in Joel's skull. You're not in control when Abby shoots Jesse in the head. Like those are moments that you're forced to, you're supposed to live in their shoes for a day, but you're not in control when, when, when they do the horrific things that they do. I mean, they do, but the big moments, you're not at the wheel. If you didn't notice. No, that's, that's a great point. I didn't actually notice that that through line extended all the way back to the last of us. So yeah, it it gives you like an, it gives you an out almost like you're spectating the living in their shoes. Yes. You don't get to choose how Joel goes about. Like, does he spare people? Does he kill every NPC? Whatever. Yeah. But in the, in the big moments, you're not in control. You're observing at that point. Yeah. It's, it's interesting because I guess where I was, my line of thinking while I was playing this game is that they want you to like feel bad about the things you're making Ellie do. However, like to your point, they never give you a choice about whether or not to do them. And I guess all of this comes down to like whether or not you feel that a game should be an avenue for telling a story to you or an avenue for telling the character's story that you're inhabiting or you telling a story about your own character. And clearly, like, The Last of Us and Naughty Dog wants this to be Ellie's story. And that story only ends one way. Yeah, I'm totally fine with that. I think it's, uh, we're going to call this dealer's choice. Like, (laughs) it it, it can be all of those things, but to most effectively tell the story that they wanted to tell, they can't give you the choice because they they need you to see. They they wrote a story about a character. I think... You are embodying that character. You get to live in their shoes you do not get to make their choices for them you just get to see a day for the ride see a day in the life it makes it far more impactful than watching it on television because you're actually there for some of that movement it draws you into the character but you don't get to be that character yeah yeah it's definitely um you know i'm sure this there's been lots of like introspection and papers written about this that like we just aren't privy to but yeah the the idea between like your embodiment of a character versus your forging of a character is definitely a dichotomy that's felt distinctly here. So if you were able to make like dialogue choices on the character's behalf, but not make choices about whether someone lives or dies, then I would be pissed about that because clearly (laughs) they will remember that. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Like they let you do some things, but not all things. I think in in this world, you basically, you're just a, a vehicle to get them from point A to point B. And what happens at those points is a, set in stone you're there to yeah see you're it. right owen may remember that but it doesn't matter because he's gonna die either way yeah bullet to the head he's not gonna remember it long um <laughs> as we close out our section of the journey with abby Um, We return to have Lev, who is sort of our new adopted uh, Seraphite friend, leave to return to his home island, the the Seraphite island that is off the coast of Seattle. I don't know, maybe it's supposed to be like Vancouver Island, or I have no idea. It's supposed to be one of those islands in the Northwest. But um, he's returned there to see his mother, and Abby follows. And it just so happens that, that this is happening on the night of the wolves' assault on the Seraphite Island. Well, I think that's why Lev left, right? Because they they had found out about the plot for the the, the WLF to invade the island and... and yeah, they, they do go. They go and uh, try to attempt to save their mother and um, you know, eventually as Abby and Yara, I believe, are fighting through the island to try and um, 
uh, find Lev, they find Lev hunched over the corpse of Gaur and Lev's mom. Uh, they were too late. She's already passed away. Uh, I guess a casualty of the, the fighting, yes? Of course, there are no happy endings anywhere in this game. So Yeah, it, and it's worth mentioning, a complete lack of moms in this game. For almost the entire game, like literally the only mom, Lev's, was killed off screen and never got a single line. Um, there are pregnant folks, but no moms until later on. Dina, we'll talk about that too. But... Um, it's striking to me about that. Like, this is a game that's big on, like, father-daughter relationships, but not like so the op- much the yeah, mothers. The opposite <laughs> of a Disney movie. Yeah. Where dads are always just gone for no inexplicable reason. Like Definitely the opposite of a Pokemon game. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, to, to that end, the, the scene in which um, Abby and Yara and later Lev are fighting through the Seraphite uh, island to uh, eventually rescue Lev and then eventually try and escape is a harrowing one. Like this is just like full scale war between the WLF and the Seraphites. And it just goes to show you that like all of this stuff that you're doing throughout this entire game is so small compared to like, not just the conflict between human on human factions in this world, but human on infected it, you know, it's, it's very jarring to see like, humanity facing this existential threat and yet we're still witnessing a war between two factions of humans to be honest i feel like the fight with the cordyceps was almost secondary in this game it was like a most of it is just us not being able to figure our shit out yeah the the cordyceps are like ambience right like it's the ambient danger of the world suddenly and everything that this game is focused on is interpersonal trauma and relationships like how many people in this game are offed because of cordyceps and infected and how many are off because of other humans. And I think you will find that the scale is tipped pretty heavily in favor of killed off by humans. Yes, by far. It's a shame. And it's very it's a, it's definitely an indictment on like when you have this weird nihilistic like concept of no one's safe, everyone's a stranger, everyone's shitty. Um that's kind of what you end up with, which maybe is what the game's going for. But yeah, all um, this like it is. Fa- <laughs> yeah. factionism or whatever you want to call it. Yeah, yeah, factionalism, tribalism yeah. is probably the word. But yeah, it's it's definitely interesting. And I think um, what it ends with is eventually, you know, Yara or uh, Lev and Abby escaping on a boat, coming back and finding the aftermath of uh, Ellie's trip to the aquarium. Dead Owen, dead Mel, and an dead immediate. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But also a map a map that leads them directly back to Ellie, Dina, and the theater that uh, Ellie, Dina, and Jesse are all, and Tommy now, are all holed up in. And that ends exactly how you think it does. Jesse's immediately shot in the face. Tommy is incapacitated. Initially, we think he's dead as well. Um, Dina is unable to act because she is in the throes of extreme pregnancy trauma. And Ellie is outmatched by abby and is almost killed if not for lev yeah i think this is where abby finally decides to try to break the cycle i think in that moment i mean obviously she went on her rage killed several people and then realized like we're just doing we're just doing (laughs) the same thing over again like we were just here and tries to break it i think just for the sake of lev you're right lev walks in the room and Abby looks at him and just says, okay, enough's enough. 
and basically yeah. cuts out. Once again, spared. And so we do a hard cut. You know, we're a, a few months. Year. I think it's got to be at least a year because you're you're back at the homestead. Yep, you're back at the homestead with Dina. Ellie and Dina are basically living in the house that uh, from Last of Us 1. Is it? Yeah. Um, the one that they went to where the assault had I can't remember the narrative reason. Basically, when she ran away on the horse, I think it's it's that house. Is it? Is it really? I had no idea. Yeah. Um, huh. That's fascinating. But regardless, they are raising uh, their their son, I suppose, by Jesse, um, JJ, who is also the main kid in Coco Melon. Thank you, oh. El- Eleanor, for <laughs> for that <laughs> knowledge. Um, but yeah, so. They are sort of living in like queer homesteader bliss, which is kind of a sweet scene, you know? Yeah, except that uh, it's not because Ellie, while she was spared, she never got her revenge. She cannot let it go. And she's suffering from horrendous PTSD, which you see like, again, mm-hmm. she her she got to see her father brutally murdered in front of her face. She saw all these other horrific things. She's like having... She, she, yeah, she's just sitting there holding the baby and then having, like, debilitating PTSD flashbacks. It's, like, ruining her life. Yeah, it's, you're absolutely right. It's sweet until it's not. And then uh, all of this is set off by Tommy showing up and saying, hey, we've been tipped off. We know, we think we know where Abby is. There's a jacked woman traveling with a small uh, Indian-looking child and... Like, well, that can only be one <laughs> one yeah. couple of people. <laughs> yeah, they're both very distinct. I think I know who this might be. <laughs> so, yeah, so Ellie, uh, you know, despite Dina's pleading, like, yo, don't do this. You know how this ends. And, you know, I think literally I was saying the same thing in my head. I was like, yo, Ellie, don't do this. Come on. We know how this ends. Um, we are all in Dina's shoes, I think, in this moment. Um, yeah. And yet, Abby, it, again, or Ellie has to go. The cycle will not break until you, and, break until it. you, until you make it, and she's not been able to let it go, and, and and she she knows she's walking away from her fam. Like she knows when she comes back, the family won't be there. There's no good ending to this. It, the thing no one's going to be happy, and she knows it, but she yeah. doesn't. She can't stop it. The thing about breaking a cycle like this is it's not a single act. It's a continuous effort, right? Like you yeah. don't just choose nonviolence once and you're good. You choose nonviolence every day for the rest of your life. Um, it's like sobriety or, or, or any other cho- choice like that. It's like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. It's a choice I've not chosen, and I continue to not choose. <laughs> but, but yeah, it's it, it's the same as any choice like that. It, it's a lifestyle. It's yeah, you're right. It's not a point in time, and she's just mm-hmm. not there yet. Yep, it's very true. And so we get the sort of epilogue of this game. I guess it's not the epilogue yet. It's the final chapter of this game, which is to say Santa Monica. Yeah, you see it from two perspectives yet again. Yeah, we start off from Abby's perspective this time. And, you know, she and Lev are seeking out the fireflies or what they think is the last remaining fireflies who turn out to be, you know, they get a tip that it's on Catalina Island. So they they start to make their way there and are immediately uh, beset and captured by slavers. Um which I, I interpreted these folks as slavers. They basically capture people. They pit them against infected in a sort of arena situation. And it's just a bad situation. It's a bad yeah, scene. Yeah, they're definitely slavers. That was the deal. Um, and then, of course, this goes by pretty quickly. And, th- and then you you follow it up with, with Ellie as, as she's hunting them down. And, of course, she 
finds information, has to eventually go after it. They're the Rattlers, I believe is what their name was. The Rattlers, yeah, yeah. yeah. And you immediately get the silent submachine gun. Um, nice. Which, yeah. This is like the place at which the game is at its most power fantasy because you're Ellie. She's a little messed up, but she also has a silent submachine gun. And this is easily the most effective weapon you've ever seen in the Last of Us series. Yes, um. they made her very effective. Again, this ending was for effect, not for needing to be drawn out any longer you get to basically mow down yeah you get your power fantasy here this is like the ending of uh was it resident evil village when you play as chris and then all of a sudden it's a call of duty (laughs) game you're like what the fuck (laughs) like yeah (laughs) yeah it's kind of like that that. yeah Yeah. and so yeah ellie goes through still searching for abby single-mindedly just blowing through an entire encampment of slavers, which, you know, good on her. She kills she a, a lot of slavers. She has a giant yeah. wound in her stomach, will not stop. So, uh, again, she, against all odds and, and against severe physical trauma, mental trauma, she will not stop. Like, she should have stopped. She, she has a gaping wound in, in her stomach um, yeah. from her encounter Anyone else with would tap out at this point. Yeah. <laughs> she, she will not. She is determined to get her revenge no matter what. And so eventually, you know, we do, we, we make our way to a point where she basically stages a prison break in this encampment because she thinks that's where Abby's holed up. Um, and she's not, she's, uh, apparently through the prison and into basically the place where she has passed her useful life in terms of the arena out on the, uh, the beach where they basically just set people to wait for infected to come and and end them. Um, she rescues quote unquote rescues Abby from this fate um, to find her like emaciated. She and Lev are almost dead. Um, Abby is a shell of her former self. Her biceps are um, a Gone. normal size once again. <laughs> yeah, I, and I, I think this really just drove the point home. Like having her be so big and beefy before and then seeing her in this state just like really just like, rips you up. Sh- yeah. shit. Yeah, like, she's messed up. There's nothing left of this woman. Like she is mm-hmm. gone. She's a shell at most. Mm-hmm. she's dead and behind he, the eyes that the body's gone. I don't know. It's a lot. And yet Ellie decides this is the point at which you and me, mano a mano here in the shallow water of the Pacific. Um, she wants to get her revenge. Whoa, mano. Whoa, sure. mano. <laughs> <laughs> sure. I think mano a mano means hand to hand. Ah, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> at any rate, they go one-on-one and it ends, um, it ends with Ellie basically almost, you know, ready to plunge the knife in, and this time Ellie is the one to to pull back and end it. Yeah. Leave her. The way this plays out, I mean, this is brutal as fuck. Basically, it is Abby, not a pleasant scene. No, Abby refuses to engage. She basically says, "I'm going to kill Lev if you don't do this." So she's like, "Fine." They are in the shallow water, beating the shit out of each other. Uh, Abby bites off Ellie's fingers uh, at one point and uh, Ellie is throttling Abby under the water. Basically, she has her dead to rights. She's strangling her and holding her under the water, uh, drowning her. And she, I don't want to say she blacks out, but she like has this brief moment where she remembers Joel sitting on the porch just playing guitar. And it's like their final moment together where they kind of like almost forgive each other yeah, the moment and, is, I haven't forgiven you yet, but I'm willing to try. Yeah, like, 
what you've been waiting the whole game to see. Like, again, outside of those little um, flashbacks from before she found out the truth, you haven't really seen their reconnect. And you finally see it. And I think she looks over at Lev and just realizes, like, hey, look, what Abby did to me because of Joel and what, or because of her dad and what I'm doing to her because of Joel, that will be Lev because of what I'm doing to Abby. And she realizes she's just kicking off a different cycle with a different person for a different mm -hmm. reason. And she just decides, like, fuck it. That's it. Yeah. And you can almost it. see, you can almost see Lev coming for Dina. Um, yeah, it's, uh, it's definitely poignant. And yet, when we realized that Ellie had had this cathartic moment with Joel, before all of this had occurred, before even the inception, inciting events of this game where Joel died, you would think she'd have a little more peace or ability to introspect about forgiveness. You know, clearly she has gotten to that point herself with Joel. It, it just strikes me as odd that, like, she was so single-mindedly antagonistic and, you know, aggro towards Abby and everyone else if she's found it in herself to be mature enough to forgive Joel for the choices that he made. And I think that is, like, one of the big disconnects in this game for me is, like, the lack of introspection on Ellie's part. She's clearly a well-fleshed-out character, but she just, like, sees red for, like, 17 months straight and it's like it doesn't make a lot of sense to me i think i can maybe characterize that a little bit better remember that all the bad things joel did she never saw she found out about them later she had to watch abby beat her dad's face in with a nine iron up close and personal that's hard to let go like she found out joel lied to her later and saw evidence of what might have happened it's like an implied she never got she was never forced to really face it or see yeah. it. This she yeah. saw as close as you can see it. This is, I don't know. It's, it's true. I, I don't like doubt like the effect, the amount of effect that it would have on Ellie to witness the death of Joel. Like that is, I understand that. But at the same time, like all of the mounting casualties of her revenge quest and the new life that she's starting to forge with Dina, like at some point you gotta cut your losses. And I feel like you know, it, it is within this game's purview of, you know, illustrating the destructiveness of the feelings that revenge and the toll it takes on people. But it also, like, it, it just, it still strikes me as, like, a slight lack of introspection on Ellie's part. And it's a character that we've all come to, like, really love and well, try and understand, perfect. right? Yeah, exactly. And it, it, maybe you're right. Maybe what it comes down to is like, this is the fall of Ellie. And, you know, we saw this. She starts torturing people. She's not a lovable character by the end of this game. She is definitely one that we've spent a lot of time with. But I think no one at the end of this game is like, yep, Ellie's a good guy or good gal. She's not. She's once again, she's another Joel. Well, and I perhaps that's the moral of the story there. I kind of think most of the survivors, you were talking about how we categorize them at some point, you know, between like optimist, pessimist, but if you try to do that good to bad, I don't think there are any good characters or bad characters in The Last of Us. There's just desperate people all, doing desperate things. <laughs> they're all they're all kind all kind of bad. Um, <laughs> because they're all yeah, they're all acting out of desperation. Yeah. Um doesn't excuse yeah. it. It explains it, but it doesn't excuse it. But uh it also points out at the end that just because you're in a desperate world and people are doing terrible things all around you, you do have the agency and the ability to finally make a choice for yourself. Like it's not an excuse. You you can choose to break it. It's not going to be easy, but you can do it if if you choose. And this is illustrated in the final moments of the game, you know, after we return or we see Ellie return from Santa Monica to the homestead. It's cleaned out. Dina's gone, JJ's gone. 
all of her stuff is piled up in a room. It looks like a bad breakup. Yeah. Um, and even worse, like she's going back and Joel's guitar is there. And the song that this was one of the, I mean, I, again, I'm a guitar player, so I, I love these moments, but you like play, you pick up and plink at the guitar throughout the, the, the game and, and you know, you're progressively getting better and you're, you're playing a lot of like, again, future days, uh, Joel's song. She goes to try to, she tries to go play it. She's missing two fingers and she can't even like, she can't even like properly interact with that memory of Joel anymore because her focus on revenge has robbed her of that too. It's robbed her of her family. It's robbed her of her pure memory of Joel. It's it's robbed her of like everything that matters to her. Yep, I think the that last guitar scene with the the playing of the guitar lacking the the fingers from the fight with Abby is like a very very crystallizing moment for the effect that this and the toll that this has taken on Ellie. It's a not a beautiful moment, but certainly an affecting one. It's yeah. a tragic moment. It was some like that was like a really deft stroke from the the storytelling of this game for sure. It worked on me, man. It worked on me. <laughs> Same. Yeah, and then she leaves. We we see her leave the guitar, leave the house, yeah, and walk away alone. Ask, I wanted to ask you about that. The leaving the guitar, the records, the drawings, everything. What do you think that says? Is she saying, I'm leaving this all behind? Is she saying, I'm ready to start anew? Or is she what, what, Or is she saying, I have nothing left, I'm leaving? No clue. All I can tell you is you don't leave a Taylor guitar unattended. <laughs> Go back and get that guitar. <laughs> At the very least, pawn that shit up. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I, don't, I, I, I don't know. And I think that that's what I guess we'll all find out sooner or later. Um, I hope that she's going to Jackson to try to mend things, but I don't know that there's going to be anything for her there anymore. I think given the fact that we saw her leave Abby and allow her to live and pursue her Firefly dreams with Lev tells me that perhaps she is going to try and start the same slow and sure forgiveness process that Joel had taken with her. You know, I know I've wronged you. I'm going to be patient and hope you come around to trying to forgive me. And, um, Time will tell, as you said. It's left pretty open. Uh, yeah, I'm not sure how I feel about it. I will say that that's kind of how I felt about the whole game. Like, in the moment, there were a lot of times where I'm like, I don't know how I feel about it. But I played this game twice now, and I felt way better about it the second time. And I felt better. The, the, the longer away from the moment that you get, the better I feel about a lot of these things. Like, these moments are not meant to feel good. They're not meant to feel gratifying, but they are meant to be impactful and meaningful. Learning a lesson isn't always the most fun thing. Like a lot of times lessons are hard learned. It's not enjoyable, but it's important. And I think that's what this, this game refused to give people what they wanted over and over and over again. And it really made some people mad, but I think getting what you want all the time is kind of fucking childish. Yeah, it's boring. And, and to your point, like the, the, the idea that, you know, when you learn a lesson in a video game, it's it's an empowerment thing. Like, ah, yes, I have conquered this puzzle, and now I know how to conquer similar puzzles like it. Um, there's no puzzle to be solved with the human tragedy of prejudice and revenge. That is not a, a lesson that is easily learned or a, a problem that is easily solved. It's something that is painful and takes time to work through. And I think this game does that sometimes to a fault <laughs> yeah 
it doesn't give you your moment of triumph. It gives you a glimpse of possible personal growth. And that's way more important than driving the knife home on Abby ever would have been, but it's far less gratifying in the moment. So it's one of those games that you, you like turn it off and you're like, Oh fuck. Yeah. I, I was glad the game was over when it, when it finally ended for me. I, yeah. I don't think I had it in me to continue even another hour, but it was uh, certainly something that I ruminated on afterwards. And I think that's, telling you know i'm like i said i don't think they did everything as deftly as they possibly could have in this game but they certainly like had a lot of things to say and they said a lot of them they said a lot of them <laughs> pretty well i think i mean I, again we, we can pick pieces apart but i will say i think they took a lot of risks i think this game's a masterpiece i think it i liked again what most people hated about it i liked the fact that they we've played we've if you want a power fantasy game where you get everything you want in the end then there's a million games for you to play. Absolutely. These guys went way out on a limb and said, hey, we're going to do something different and maybe come along for the ride and see. Maybe learn something about yourself. Yeah, I, I'm I'm totally with you in that I respect this game for all of the like hard turns against established norms that it took and all of the things that they asked players to look at, both like within themselves and with society at large. I think, generally speaking, it sort of comes down on a, a side where like it maybe advocates for a little bit more of a conservative mindset than I would personally jive with. However, um, I certainly cannot deny the idea that like it is a game that has a lot to say about putting yourself in someone else's shoes, empathizing with them, and trying to see the other side of every story. So as we close out our discussion of The Last of Us Part Two, let's try and some of our thoughts with a three-word review. So my three-word review is Stop the Hate. Uh, Last of Us 2 is a gut-wrenching game about loss and the brokenness and hate that are created by it. It pulls no punches and leaves you feeling dirty and despondent more than it ever makes you feel triumphant. But to be honest, the message underneath is too important to sugarcoat. It plums the depths of the human psyche and shows how cycles of violence will continue in perpetuity until someone finally makes the conscious decision to forgive and to heal. In The Last of Us 1, the biggest threat to humanity seem to be cordyceps. But by Last of Us 2, we see that regardless of circumstance, we humans are still the greatest threat to one another. This is not a game for someone who just wants to disconnect and relax on the couch. But if you're willing to set aside the standard fare of power fantasy games and strap in for a roller coaster ride of emotions that really makes you consider what it means to be human, this game will make you laugh, it'll make you cry, and most importantly, it'll make you think. Some of the story is hard to swallow in the moment, but the further I got from the credits, the more I appreciate some of the bold choices that the narrative team took. People love to hate on this game. I know this is not the story of Triumph that a lot of people hoped the follow-up to the PS3 era's most popular game would be, but it may just be the most important lesson that we could have ever learned from Joel and Ellie. And I hope that as many people as possible get a chance to experience it. Thumbs up for me. Agreed. My three-word review is hatred and forgiveness. The Last of Us Part Two tells a challenging story about a challenging topic, overcoming hatred and granting forgiveness even in the face of undeniably horrible realities. It's well known that Druckmann said, if The Last of Us was about love, then its sequel is about hatred. And I think that's true, but only if you solely consider Ellie's part of the story. She gives in to hate. It destroys her mentally and physically. Ill-advised decisions pile up and her entire life and community is impacted by it. However, the other side of that coin is Abby. She starts her story where Ellie ends hers, fresh off her revenge tour. Though she quickly realizes that all of the pain inflicted did not bring her the sought-after catharsis. 
the primary arc of her story instead is around overcoming prejudice and forgiving members of a group that has wronged her, and eventually learning that forgiveness is the path to true peace. The Last of Us Part II is a challenging game, and it asks the player to introspect in ways that most games don't. And while I don't agree with every narrative and storytelling decision it makes, I sure do respect it for many of them. And with that, we want to say, thanks for listening. And if you enjoyed this podcast, then feel free to share it with folks you think might enjoy it as well. If you want to get in touch, drop us a note at pixelatedplaygrounds at gmail.com or contact us on Twitter at pixelplaypod. And for us here at Pixelated Playgrounds, I'm Brian Skersha. And I'm Clint Jones. Take care and keep on offering forgiveness. This is a, I think this is going to make a great TV show. Um, <laughs> you know, like the, the gameplay started to get a little repetitive for me. Like um, there are a lot of really novel sequences in this game. Your first run in with uh, Seraphites, um, your, there's some incredible boss fights in this game. That boss fight with Abby with the like crazy big zombie in the basement of the hospital is incredible. Um, but, um, I think there's just a little too much of it, you know? Like, this is a 26-hour-long game. Um, I think we could have cut out a few of the combat sequences, personally. Even though, it's, they, like you said, they are fun. Like, if you took one and put it in front of me right now, I'd play it. For sure. I mean, I played this game twice. Not back-to-back. It is too long to do that. And it's meant to feel <laughs> harrowing by the end. I think that's where they want you to feel. And you do feel it. Um, yeah. It's, it's not perfect, but it is very well done. All right, I got an idea for you. Play it we again? Po- we, we go Pokemon on this. We do The Last of Us Ellie and The Last of Us Abby. Oh, <laughs> you God. have to put them together to catch It could have been, yeah, I guess. God, it could have been two <laughs> separate games, really. I mean, they were each their own story. Again, most action games these days are, what, 10, 12 hours. You double that down. You get a full game for Abby. You get a full game for Ellie, pretty much. From that perspective, it's very generous that they gave us all of this. Yeah, they, they didn't skimp. They're not like, oh, and now you can have a taste of what Abby had going on. They're like, no, you're going to see the whole thing. You're going to sit in her shoes and, and, and really get it by the end, what she went through. Alternative to the crass Pokemon level uh, idea that I just put out there, there is also a world in which we see just Ellie's story and Abby's is DLC. Um, but yeah, I, I think they did it the way they had to to actually nail the message of this game. Yeah, I think it would have lost it if, if you saw it yeah. later. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, it had to, it had to work this way. They had to show the two sides of the story, they and I like that they the didn't really revenge. bounce back and forth until you, uh, you thought you were going to get your revenge right there in the middle of the game. You thought that was it, and that that was going to be the whole game in its its entirety. And then they're like, "No, sorry, you have a whole other game to play." And now we're going to make you we're going to make you think about what you did. Yeah, I like it. I mean, I don't like it. I hated it, kinda, but it was effective. Yeah, it was important. <laughs> It was important. There's a plenty of games where you can just go kill a bunch of pixelated characters and not give a shit. But this isn't one of them. A game that is uh, perhaps not fun, but intentionally so. 
Yeah. <laughs> You've sold me. I will buy two copies. <laughs> 